This week is a continuation of last week's message, How to Live in Troubled Times, the Beatitudes. Last week was obviously part one, and this week we will continue with part two. I love this message. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite portions of Scripture, uh, so I love preaching through it. It's always a blessing, and as I have preached on it, probably four or five times now over the years, uh, the notes have just expanded and expanded. So that's why I'm doing it in uh, two parts, maybe three. If I go a little bit long today and it seems like we need to, I'll go ahead and break it into three parts. But let's pray and then we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we're able to uh, gather here today, Lord, online uh, to learn of you, to delve into your word, and to uh, really um, dig into this amazing message that you preached so many years ago, the Sermon on the Mount, and the core of that, the Beatitudes. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless each person that hears this message, uh, that you would open hearts and minds to the truth of it, and that you would be glorified through it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so how to live in troubled times, the Beatitudes, part two. If you remember last time, um, I was just going over some of the issues and the things that we are seeing today uh, in current events in America and around the world. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone can argue the point that um, things are very strange, uh, things are very uh, sinister. There's a lot of lies being bantered about politically um, surrounding the the COVID crisis, um, and the effects that I think we're seeing in our society because of what I call toxic tech. Uh, everybody carries around these phones in their pockets nowadays, which uh, have pretty much taken over our lives, and which I believe, if we're not very careful with, uh, can have a severe impact on our time that we spend in prayer, meditating on the Word of God, uh, striving to commune with the Lord and to learn from him. His word tells us uh, to be still. Uh, God is in the quiet places. So we need to make a concerted effort to step out of the world and go into uh, places of quiet and calm where we can strive to uh, grow closer to the Lord and learn more of him. And Satan knows this. So I believe he's using technology to create as much distraction and mental noise as possible in the world. So we need to make an effort to push back against that. Uh, one of the verses that I shared last week that I wanted to reiterate this week is Daniel 12, 1 through 4, which says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, excuse me, shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And I believe that's what we're seeing right now. Knowledge is increasing. You could have massive amounts of information at your fingertips through modern technology. 
knowledge is increasing, but wisdom has been decreasing for a long time now. And what we need in this age in which we exist right now is not more knowledge. Well, I guess we need knowledge of God's word and God's ways and the gospel. But what we really need is wisdom. And wisdom begins in the fear of God. And that's what I pray that we can continue to get from this message that we're continuing today in part two. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And if you're not familiar with this portion of Scripture, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this portion of Scripture is, is referred to as the, the Beatitudes, and that's what we're going to learn about today. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, meaning Christ, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A beautiful portion of scripture, and there's so much for us to learn here. And, and one of the points that I made in part one is the fact that um, if you're struggling to live in this world and to get by in this world, I'm convinced that you can find a way to live very well if you understand what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and very specifically in the Beatitudes, but in the whole message of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the Reformation Study Bible regarding the Sermon on the Mount explains it beautifully. It says it is the classic statement of the ethics of the kingdom of God, or you could say on how a child of God should be living. The Sermon on the Mount outlines the call to discipleship and the model of the life we are to live in Jesus Christ. Now, one point I want to make here that's very important, again, for the age in which we live and the condition of so much of the modern church, which is which is so sadly um, far from the truth, is the fact that the Beatitudes are not a self-help program. And many have tried to take the Beatitudes and to turn them into something that if you do these things, you'll be rewarded, you'll be blessed. You'll grow closer to God. The Beatitudes are not a self-help program. And I think one of the most glaring examples we see of this is such a destructive teaching in the modern church is the, the recovery program of Celebrate Recovery, which has taken the, uh, the Beatitudes, which are such a beautiful uh, teaching from Scripture and so, full of so much truth, and corrupted them by using them as a means to attempt to justify the heretical 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous and market it as something that's Christian. 
And if you study the Beatitudes and then you look at the way that they're presented through Celebrate Recovery, you see just glaring problems there. So be very careful of that. But if you struggle amidst the increasing chaos and the confusion of this world and wonder how to live as a Christian in the midst of this world, the Sermon on the Mount is where the answers you're looking for can be found. So before we get into them, I want to open up with a verse that anybody that knows me knows that I'm very fond of. It is the mission verse for our ministry, and it's Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul tells us very clearly in the book of Romans that if we are in Christ, we are not to be conformed to this world. You are, if you're in Christ, you are contrary to the ways of this world. This world is of the devil, is of Satan. Those in Christ are obviously of him. So you have two opposing camps. So we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we do that through the prayerful study of God's word and striving to be conformed to the image of Christ. That by testing, you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as Christians, to not be conformed to this world, I'll give you some examples, means that we are to be light in the midst of darkness. We're to be love in the midst of hate. We're to be truth in the midst of lies. And we are to be wisdom in the midst of ignorance. Just four ways to look at what it means to not be conformed to this world. And the Sermon on the Mount is the true standard of the nonconformity that Paul's talking about in Romans 12, 2. Another point I want to make concerning this verse is the fact that the true individual is born when one is born again in Jesus Christ. You will never know who, who you were truly created to be and what your true purpose and meaning of life is until you are born again in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, you are living a lie to varying degrees depending on the individual. And I don't think anybody can argue with the fact that much of our modern worldly economy is based on image. Individuals trying to appear separate from the crowd by assuming an image that is mostly false. So you can only live and stand in truth when you live and stand in Jesus Christ. The carnal mind in conformity to this, to this world unrenewed and in darkness cannot test the spirits and cannot discern the will of God, so cannot conform to God's will as we are commanded to in Romans 12 2. Look at John, uh, our first John 4, chapter 1, which says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Being discerning means that we are able to test the spirits. We are able to know that things that we see or we're presented with or we're told are either of God and according to his will or contrary to God and not according to his will. Discernment is extremely important, especially in this day and age in which we live and especially in the environment that the modern church is in, where 90% of it is mostly apostate, or heretical and far from what the Christian faith is meant to be. The ways you can discover what's true and false according to God's word is by praying for 
and striving to sharpen your tools of discernment. Romans 12.2 very much applies to the church as well as to the individual. You can apply it on both levels. So it's a great life verse for an individual believer in Christ, but it's also a very good verse um, to guide ministries by. And that's why I chose it years ago to be the mission verse of the way ministry. What is good and acceptable and perfect is an impossible standard from a carnal human perspective. What is good and acceptable and perfect is beyond the ability of the natural human being who has not been redeemed in Christ to understand, to carry out, and to meet that command. We, you cannot do it unless you are in Christ. If you go through Matthew chapter 5 and you look at what Christ commands through the rest of this chapter in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, anger, if you're angry with someone, to the point that you that you want to attack them and possibly murder them, you've already committed murder, the sin of murder, because you've carried it out spiritually in your mind. If you lust after another individual, that sin is already committed, whether it's carried out on the physical plane or not. Just two examples of what Christ commands. He says, do not lust, do not anger, because if you do, you're already guilty of the sin that that's going to lead to. But if you look at um, Matthew 5.48, after the Lord gives us all these very specific and detailed guidelines on how we are to live, and as you study these, you realize that no human being is able to do so, he then, in Matthew 5.48, says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So to live up to God's standard is a standard that is absolutely pure and holy perfection. And if you can't, you're separated from God. And that is just the plight of the human race. Look at Matthew 19, 25 through 26. So we're in this situation where we cannot please God. We are separated God, from God because we cannot live up to the standard that he requires because of his perfect purity and holiness. But in Matthew 19, 25 through 26, when Jesus is confronted with the disciples, it says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I want you to remember that as we go through this message as we study the Beatitudes and we look at the things that people that a believer is blessed with in Jesus Christ, you have to realize that we cannot live up to the standard. We cannot live up to the commands of Christ. We cannot live the way that he outlines in the Sermon on the Mount by our own power, but only through God's power, through God's grace, through God's love, through God's mercy. And it requires a radical faith and a devotion to be able to do so. Look at John, First uh, John 5, 3 through 4. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So someone in the flesh, someone of the world, sees the commands as an impossible burden that we cannot bear. But those in God and in the love of God actually realize that the commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because the Lord is carrying that burden and helping it, us with it and enabling us to live up 
to God's standard. So for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who call, who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So you can actually do and live in a way that's supernatural because you are blessed to be in Christ and to be blessed with the power of God. Jesus asked nothing of us without providing the needed strength to carry it out. We endure, we persevere, we achieve victory because we are in Christ and we are blessed by grace. Now let's look at the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, the beginning. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, this is God in the... And he taught them, saying, but let's stop there and look at that, at those two verses, understanding that this is Christ sitting down to preach the Sermon on the Mount. This is God in the flesh teaching us how to live in and to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's why I said, if you're struggling to get by in this world, if you're struggling with the insanity that we see in the world, especially in the last year or so with this whole COVID hoax thing that's going on, and, and we see what's happening around the world economically because of it, starvation rates are going through the roof around the world, crime rates are increasing, and you think, why are so many people just following along with this without question? And folks, I can tell you I've studied this a lot. I don't think we've seen anything yet. I think when we start seeing what's going to happen because of the max vaccination programs that are taking place, it's going to make the last, it could make the last year seem like a walk in the park because that could be where we really have a major health issue is when we start seeing the damage that's done from the vaccines. Um, so be very careful of that. If you've taken one, I don't mean to offend you, but I will tell you, I've studied that topic for years, and um, I think what they're trying to accomplish with them is beyond our, we have no idea how sinister the agenda behind, behind them are. So um, be very careful with that. So this is God in the flesh teaching us how to live in and be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, that word predestined is one of those words that many people don't like. They don't like the idea of predestination, that certain individuals are created to be, to walk, to, to be saved by Christ and others aren't. But folks, we can't argue the fact the word and the teaching is right there in scriptures, in scripture. And then if we look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace, oops, I missed a verse there. I'm sorry. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Christ here is giving us the teaching that shows us how to walk in him. Now let's look at verse 3 as he, be, as he begins on this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, like I said before, I want you to look at the contrast between this viewpoint of living or this perspective of living versus what the world says we have to do in order to live successfully here. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does the poor in spirit mean? The worldly use and understand an understanding of the word happy. First, I want to make this point. First of all, the modern worldly use and understanding of the word happy should never be used as a replacement for the word blessed. And I want to bring this up. I'm backing up a little bit before we get into the Beatitudes because they all focus very much on the gifts of being blessed. So the worldly use and understanding of the word happy should never be used as a replacement for the word blessed. Think of the different viewpoints, or when you think of the word happy, it's very different than when you think of the word blessed. Someone who's not a believer, someone who is still very much of this world, you could classify as happy. But I don't think you could say that they're blessed. Happy could be fleeting. Happy, happy could be temporary. Happy can depend on your situ, the situation, circumstances, and conditions that you are in at any given moment. So it's fleeting, and it can come and go. But blessed means spiritual peace and well-being. It means having the approval of God. It means that we know that we have a joyful destiny. So being blessed is much different than to say someone's happy. And the reason I bring that up is, again, the Celebrate Recovery Program, they take the Beatitudes, they remove the word blessed, and they insert the word happy. It's one of the big uh, problems where they've corrupted the word of God by trying to change what something actually means in God's word. So pay attention to that word blessed. And if you want a, a picture of of blessed one of my favorite examples of it in scripture is if you look at the beginning of psalm uh, one i don't have it on the screen but i'll pull it up here the very beginning of the psalm psalm one says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So we get a picture there of what it is to be blessed, because you will not have a hunger for God's word. You can't understand God's word unless you are blessed to do so by the Holy Spirit because you are in Christ. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we've, we've talked about the word blessed and the fact that to be blessed is to have spiritual peace and well-being, to have the approval of God and a joyful destiny. But blessed in the Beatitudes is the means and the end. Again, we're, we're, we're like I said, like we're programs like Celebrate Recovery or other false teachings have taken the Beatitudes and tried to make them into a self-help program. They make them something that if you do this thing, if you live this way, then you'll be happy, then you'll be blessed. That's not what the Beatitudes teach. You can do the things commanded in the Beatitudes. You can live the way the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount outlines because you are blessed. You're not working towards a blessing. So they get it backwards. So blessed in the Beatitudes is the means and the end. You are blessed to be poor in spirit. And as the result of being poor in spirit, you know that you are in the kingdom of heaven. You are one of Christ. 
and that leads to more blessings. The Sermon on the Mount and especially the Beatitudes are commonly viewed erroneously as lessons in how to achieve blessings or a means to an end, but that's not how it is. In this fallen, man-centric world, this view makes perfect sense. We work for a reward, strive for a goal, work for God's acceptance and blessing. That is the epitome. And I'm going to talk a lot about recovery programs today because they epitomize so much how you can take God's word and corrupt it and to make it humanistically centered instead of God-centered. And what we see in so much of the modern church is a striving to people of people trying to do what they can to earn God's acceptance. And that's not the way it should be. The truth is that we are blessed by God's grace, and by God's grace we seek the Lord in his righteousness, and in being conformed to the image of Christ, we live in assurance and hope of future eternal blessings. Because we are blessed, we serve the Lord. We don't serve the Lord to obtain blessings. Are we blessed because we serve the Lord? Yes, but it's a different thing. See? Grace working in us, the blessing of grace, is what conforms us to the image of Christ. We cannot do it on our own. Now, notice it says poor in spirit. A direct contrast, no one in the world would be, ever be able to say that you're blessed to be poor in spirit. Just think of the visual that that gives to a worldly mind. The poor in but, but what you have to understand is the poor in spirit in Christ are not despondent, fear-based, cowards. The poor in spirit are free of spiritual pride and self-righteousness. That, you could say, is the definition of what poor in spirit is that we're looking at here. The poor in spirit are free of spiritual pride and self-righteousness. They depend on God alone and not our own righteousness. Very, very important to be poor in spirit is such a blessing because that's what brings you to the cross. You realize, I have nothing worthy of my own that makes me able to stand before God and defend myself for breaking his law and being in rebellion against him. I am spiritually poor, bankrupt, and without any redeeming qualities before God. I need help. I need someone to do it for me. Christ is that one. His righteousness is what we stand in. So we are humble and lowly in our own eyes. And this is where it's very important to understand the T in the TULIP acronym, the T and the U, actually. If you're not familiar with that, there's an acronym that helps you grasp and understand the truth of Christian doctrine, and that acronym is TULIP. The T stands for total depravity. The U stands for undeserved or unearned election. The L stands for limited atonement. The I stands for irresistible grace. And the P stands for perseverance of the saints. And you can spend years studying each one of what those letters signifies and the doctrines that they are teaching. But here I just want to talk about the T and the U, total depravity and unearned election. We come, we're, we're in total depravity, lost in our sins and trespasses. And we have unearned election in Christ. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And we don't have the ability to obtain it in, by any power of our own. We are saved only by God's grace through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're totally depraved and we're blessed with something that we cannot earn. We cannot maintain. It's all of God. Poor in spirit means we have a broken and contrite spirit before God. 
And we are as little children in our opinion of ourselves before God. That's very important to not become arrogant as we mature in our walk with Christ, but to always strive to remain as little children before the Lord. And what I'm going to do is if you want to jot these down and you want to get some examples of the attitude I'm talking about of being poor in spirit or a child before God is to look at Matthew 8, 5 through 13 and look at the, the attitude and the spiritual perspective of the centurion. And then look at Luke 15, 11 through 24, the story of the prodigal son. And look at the difference in his attitude from the beginning of the story to the end. And then Luke 18, 10 through 14, where we see uh, a contrast between a self-righteous man praying and one that has a spirit of, of uh, who is poor in spirit and realizes that they need God's mercy. Where you will read the line, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's in Luke 18, 10 through 14. I'd recommend studying those after listening to this message. Now, what I want you to understand is this does not mean we're weak and cowardly before men. There's a vast difference between, between being a child before God, poor in spirit before the Lord, and how we act towards others. It does not mean that we're weak and cowardly before men. It means exactly the opposite. Poor in spirit and humility before God and bold, confident, courageous among men is how we need to strive and be. And the, the paradox of this is when you submit more and more to God, you humble yourself before the Lord, you strive to be a child before God, the stronger you will be amongst men. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died for his faith at the hand of Hitler and the Nazis, one of his friends described him at his funeral or shortly around the time of his funeral. He said he was a child before God and a giant among men. He was hung because he was so strong in his faith that he would not back down for what, from what he believed in, even upon the threat of death. And he went to the gallows for it. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 gives us a teaching of this in scripture. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let's look at the next verse from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, one of those words that the worldly mind doesn't like, mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sinful mourning is the sorrow of the world. Everybody understands different ways of viewing mourning. And there's a sinful mourning, and that is the sorrow of the world. There's a natural mourning, such as for the death of a loved one. When we lose someone close to us, we experience mourning. But what we're referring to, what Christ is referring to here is a gracious mourning. He's talking about the mourning for our own sins and our separation from God. A godly sorrow that leads to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 again paints it a picture between the world and the ways of God. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And again, we see an example of why the modern recovery industry in the church is so far off base because they are focused on worldly grief that leads to death rather than a godly grief producing repentance that leads to salvation. See, instead of striving for recovery, Churches shouldn't even be concerned with the word recovery. We should be striving to lead people to repentance and belief in the gospel. 
And when you understand what I mean when I say that, you'll realize recovery is a non-issue from a Christian perspective. Recovery will just happen if you're striving for repentance. And I'll get into that more in a little bit. Mourning for the sins and afflictions of others. Mourning for the perishing souls of all those around us that are outside of Christ. Jesus gives us an example of this in Matthew 23, 37 through 38. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. He was mourning over the condition of Jerusalem as we should be mourning over the condition of the modern church. Even in gracious mourning, the heart of believers is full of joy and satisfaction in the world as we mourn for the condition of the modern church. For so many that we see who think they're believers but know nothing of the gospel, have no understanding of what it is to be clothed in Christ's righteousness or the imputed righteousness that we're blessed with in Christ. We mourn over that, but at the same time we're rejoicing because we know that we are blessed in Christ's righteousness. Psalm 126, 5 through 6 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. As we walk through this world and we're spreading the seeds of the gospel, we see the horrific condition of this world. And it may bring us to tears. It brings us to a condition of mourning. But the Lord tells us that if you continue to sow that seed, even though you do it in mourning, you will come back with shouts of joy, bringing your sheaves with you. Let's look at Matthew 5, 5. It continues, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Is that not so contrary to this world? Nothing of this world tells you that meekness could ever be a quality that you would want to aspire for. How can you take care of number one? How can you be competitive? How can you crush your competitors? How can you be the best at what you do if you're meek? It doesn't make any sense from a worldly perspective. But what it means here is to be in quiet submission to God, to bless God's people, to, to bless all people with gentleness, gentleness towards all people. Titus 3.2 gives us a picture of this, uh, Titus 3.2 and 3. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions and slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It means to value peace more than revenge. And I think another lesson for modern Christians is to understand that we need to hate the message that is false and not the messenger. See, with social media and so much striving for attention that we see in so much of the modern church, if somebody comes with a false gospel, quite often it's it's very clear that those are that are supposedly trying to correct this person are trying to destroy this person. They're showing hatred to the messenger rather than the message. So if you're presented with someone who comes to you with a false teaching, whether it's Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, whatever it is, try to speak to that person lovingly, hating the message that they bring and doing everything you can to expose it for what it is and crushing it under the weight of God's truth and scripture 
with the loving hope that as they see what they believe in being destroyed by the power of God's word in scripture, that they will come to believe in God's truth in scripture. You see? So hate the message that is false, not the messenger. And it's to value peace the more than revenge. To look to the Lord and how to live in this way, study who he is and how he lived during his incarnation. Strive to live as Christ lived. Meekness blesses us now because it frees us from the futile entanglements of this world. We don't get caught up in so much of the stuff that people get caught up in if we try to live meekly before the Lord. And we know that we look for an eternal promise and blessing. And that's what that's that's a perspective that a Christian has. Instead of getting caught up in what's down here, the minutia of the moment that we're existing in on this plane, we have our eyes lifted to what we are promised eternally in Christ, which is conveyed to us in Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. That's what we look forward to. Now let's look at Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And again, this is where a clear distinction is made between recovery and repentance. Folks, if you've got any friends that are in AA or Celebrate Recovery or the modern recovery industry and they're claiming to be Christian, it's important that they are confronted with the major discrepancies between that and the true Christian gospel, the true Christian faith. Because this is where we see in this one verse here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We see a clear division that is made between seeking recovery and seeking repentance. Those who seek recovery do so because they have a worldly mourning. They want their life back. They want their family back. They want to repair the damage that they've caused because of their sinful addiction. That's mourning for the things of this world that they may have lost. But if someone is led to repentance, the mourning that they experience is the mourning that I referred to earlier. They know that they are poor in spirit, dead in their sins and trespasses, separated from God, and that the only way that they can ever be reconciled to God is through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So you hunger and thirst for that righteousness. And because you're doing so, you repent of the sin that you're trapped in, the addiction that is just sin manifested in a certain way. You see? So there's a big difference between recovery and repentance. That's what the whole Recovery Reformation ministry is about. People keep wanting a program, and I keep that. I've told people for years that a program is not needed because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ that leads people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And when you have that, you realize that recovery is not needed. And this is one of those verses that makes that point very well. You are blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. All spiritual blessings are purchased for us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's a complete reverse to the carnal, natural man, which we get a picture of in Romans 3, 10 through 11. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You will only do so. You'll only seek for God. You'll only hunger and thirst for righteousness 
when the Holy Spirit has regenerated you and you're born again in Jesus Christ. The only true peace, rest, and satisfaction are in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. There is none other than that. Prayer and the word are not extras, but are staple necessities. Because as you are blessed with the righteousness of Christ, you hunger for more. So you'll, you will want to be in his word, prayerfully studying it, so you can just be blessed with more of his grace and his righteousness. And what it comes down to is only someone who has been made alive in Christ can understand what verse 6 teaches. And that applies to all of the Beatitudes, but especially verse 6. We get a picture of what it is to be satisfied in Christ's righteousness in Jeremiah 31, 25. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will, will replenish. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. Your soul is parched. You are a dead person walking through this world. Christ brings you back to life. Your soul is satisfied. Its weariness is done away with. And he replenishes it with the rivers of living water. Praise the Lord for that. Look at Matthew 5, 7. We continue. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, totally contrary to the word, to the world. Mercy is not a valued attribute in this world. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So again, a direct contrast to the ways of this world. I heard somebody the other day talking about, you know, the, the, the vibrations that, that you learn about if you study quantum physics and how uh, humans are very much influenced by the vibrations of this universe, by the vibrations of other people. And they talked about with what we've been going through in the last year or so, there's a very concerted effort from the dark side to lower the vibration of humanity to make people more susceptible to satanic influence through so much negativity and so much fear and so much chaos, we push back against that as believers by raising that vibration through love, compassion, mercy, caring, you see? So this goes to the very core of who we are as individuals. We have been saved by God's amazing grace and mercy, and we must be merciful in turn, glorifying the Lord whose name we bear. You can't understand what I just said if you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll repeat that. We have been saved by God's amazing grace and mercy and must be merciful in turn, glorifying the Lord whose name we bear. The reason you can't understand that is it, unless you know the gospel is because unless, through the gospel we understand the profundity of God's holiness, the depraved level of man's rebellion, and then God's love, mercy, and grace in saving us. And when you realize that God was merciful, loving, and gracious enough to save us, who were in absolute rebellion against him, you never have an excuse to not show mercy, kindness, love, and forgiveness to another human being. Again, the importance of the message of the gospel. We are to partake of the afflictions of our brethren, help those in the church. We are to have compassion for the souls of others, pray for those who reject the gospel. Pray that hearts will be open to the message of the gospel. Pity the ignorant and instruct them. Warn the careless and strive to snatch sinners 
from the fire. Be merciful. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The blessed are the pure in heart. True Christianity lies in the heart, in the purity of the heart. Look at Psalm 24, 4 through 5. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The heart is purified by faith. Strive to have a heart that is pure. Look at Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Folks, we often we get caught up in, in obsessing over not sinning, but in an external sense. Take that to the next level if you want to really grow in Christ and try to take every thought captive. Think about that verse. Are the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart acceptable in God's sight, pleasing to him? Because if you focus on it at that level, the things that you may have carried out in the flesh will slip away. And again, we see the power of God's word doing away with the recovery industry. Because if you understand what I just said, you have the power to overcome any sinful addiction that you're suffering through. Seeing God by faith presently is heaven upon earth. Seeing God by faith presently is heaven upon earth. We can strive to be pure in heart. We will grow in our purity if we are seeing the Lord now. And we will experience a bit of heaven even while we are here on this lost planet. Heaven of heaven will be seeing him without faith, uh, without faith being needed in his eternal glory. See, when we go to be with the Lord, what's such a blessing is we see him. We don't have to live by faith anymore because everything is clear and reveal to us our reward is ours then completely and fully and we are immersed in it praise the lord for that let's look at verse 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god a true peacemaker cannot be conformed to this world because true peace is contrary to this world again you go back to romans 12 romans 12 2 peace does not exist in this world. There's always human strife and suffering. Why? Because of human nature. There is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For, us to, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is no true peace outside of Jesus Christ. doesn't exist. Let's look at Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How could you be blessed if you're persecuted? Again, the world can't understand this. But what we have to understand as Christians is that Satan hates Christ. Satan hates the righteousness of Christ, and he hates those clothed in the righteousness of of Christ. So since the beginning of time, those who are in Christ have been persecuted while they're on this plane. Because they're in enemy territory, Satan is the prince of this world, 
until that final day when the Lord returns. Judgment day. But only a believer can understand that you're actually blessed if you are persecuted for righteousness sake and what that means, because that's an affirmation of our faith. If you have to pay a price to suffer for the name of Christ, that's a blessing because it affirms your faith. You know you're in the right place. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Folks, if you're in true gospel ministry today, you've got to understand these verses because you will be attacked, ridiculed, persecuted, marginalized. Look at what they're doing on social media. I mean, uh, it's fascinating that I can even still publish on YouTube. But you constantly have to endure attack and ridicule and persecution if you're preaching the gospel. It's just the way it is, and it's always been that way. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, grates on the psyches of Satan's children. They hate it, and they lash out against it because it exposes their sin. John 8, 43 through 44 says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Jesus explains why Christians are persecuted because this is the attitude of those that are outside of Christ. They can't understand the gospel message. They hate it because it's contrary to everything that they are. In the last verse, Matthew 12, rejoice and be glad. Now, at the end of all this, the Lord closes and says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Your reward is great in heaven. He's saying, don't stress about this plane. Don't stress about conditions and circumstances in this world. Because you, you have a reward that's beyond anything that you can understand. That's far beyond anything this world could ever offer. Praise the Lord for that. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're getting that focus that we should have. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So that's the attitude we are to have and not get bogged down by the world around us and not give up and stop in the work that the Lord's blessed us with because of persecution and hatred and ridicule and everything else. And I'll close with Matthew 5, 13 and 16, which is the, the verses that follow what we just heard of the Beatitudes. Because this gives us a picture, if we live the way that Christ outlines for us in the Sermon on the Mount, this is how we are. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. There is no light in this world spiritually other 
than the true church of Christ. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. I'm hoping you guys see why I love the Sermon on the Mount so much. And I would highly recommend, you know, this week read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, because that is where the Sermon on the Mount is contained. And it's just such a beautiful portion of Scripture. Like I said, it's always been one of my favorite areas of the Bible, and I love preaching through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing uh, message of the Sermon on the Mount, of the Beatitudes. And Lord, that I, I ask that you would enable each person that hears this message um, to see what can only be seen by the power of the Holy Spirit through the message of the gospel, that, that everyone who hears this message if they don't know you, may come to know you through it, that you would touch their hearts with the truth of the gospel. And for the believers that hear it, Lord, that you would strengthen them and help them to see things more clearly from this perspective and not be drugged down by the darkness and the chaos and the lies of this world. Please guide us in the coming week. Open doors of opportunity for the gospel. And may you be glorified in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching today, folks. I appreciate it. Uh, like I said, the last few weeks, uh, we now have a business that is helping to sponsor the ministry. Uh, it's called elephantwalk.net, where uh, we basically try to carry out our mission, which is caring in every step that's reflected in the quality of our products and the efforts to combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our sales help support. Uh, we've just got some amazing home decor items and uh, just a beautiful leather collection. And these help us support artisans in developing nations. Uh, we have a leather shop that we're working with in Kenya and a wood shop, uh, places that I, people that I've met when I've been there, uh, just amazing people that do amazing work. And like I said, the quality of what we offer, I, I'm just so proud of. Um, these are just beautiful. Every piece is beautiful, very unique, and it helps support the ministry and it helps support the people of Kenya. And we're also going to be looking at expanding into other countries very soon, uh, probably the Philippines, Vietnam, and some other places. So please take a look at elephantwalk.net and uh, we'd appreciate any business you can provide. Uh, if you'd like to visit the website, it's the way, the letter R122.org. You can find the podcast at the Christian Podcast Community.org. There's also a lot of other great podcasts on there on YouTube at the Way Ministry Church. And you can donate through our website at the way, the letter R122.org. Thanks for watching, and we will be back here next time. Same time, same place. God bless you guys.